Folks, welcome back to the Traders for a Cause podcast. My guest this week is a uh, person that I'd like to consider a friend after uh, meeting her about, oh, I'd say a year ago. Was it a year ago? Maybe back in the spring. She is founder of The Wall Street Coach, host of The Wall Street Coach podcast, and author of a book called Transforming Wall Street. Ladies and gentlemen, Kim Ann Curtin. Kim, how are you? I am doing great. Aloha, Zach. Aloha, Nathan. How are you guys? Good. It's good Nate, to be. Nate, I, I don't think you need an introduction, but uh, yeah, folks, Nate is also on the podcast again with us today. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's our our most frequently recurring guest now. This is this is your third episode, right, Nate? Or fourth? Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah something like that. Special co-host. Boston. That's true. That's if you right. include Boston. An excellent episode, an excellent episode. If you haven't seen it, everybody watch it. Oh my gosh, she's already plugging us. This is amazing. It's a great you podcast. You, you should you should come on every week, Kim. Let's, let's do Fine it every week. Fine by me, fine by me. <laughs> some, some people had a little anxiety watching that. They were like, I'm waiting for somebody to fall going really? through, really? through the sidewalks. <laughs> well, that would have been cut out left on the editing floor. So. <laughs> it was cut out. We didn't see Zach fall. <laughs> We did not fall, did you? <laughs> Quit making up stories, Nate. <laughs> oh boy, I did not fall. Okay. But anyway, uh, Kim, like I'm, we're we're super pumped. We're going to re be releasing this uh, hopefully either later this week or next week, and we're getting ready for T4C22, which are which is our ninth annual uh, charity conference in Las Vegas, and we wow. are super excited that uh, you are going to be featured on our stage this year. So. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be super fun. Um, but I want to just uh, hear a little bit about how you got to do what you do, because I think what you do is certainly invaluable for, for so many. So how did you become a coach in the first place? And was it immediately in finance with traders? Or did you kind of like cling to the industry in, in another way before that? It, it was really my own uh, journey of self-development that got me to become a coach. I hired a coach. I was working at a hedge fund, uh, one of the like top 50 in the world. And uh, I was loving the challenge of that position. I am very good strategically and with big picture. So I felt I was using a lot of my skill sets. But in my early 20s, I had been super inspired by Joseph Campbell, the mythologist. And in an interview with Bill Moyers, it's a series called The Power of Myth. He talked about finding your bliss. And, you know, I heard that at such a young, impressionable age. And I was, I think, always on the lookout for the bliss. What's the bliss? So I was conscious that even though I was certainly making good money, and I was certainly using some of my gifts, I didn't feel like I had bliss. And I was kind of frustrated by that. And I wound up doing uh, Landmark, Landmark Education, which was uh, an intensive weekend. And uh, after that, I felt I had to do something to get closer to the bliss. That, that had a huge impact on me, Landmark Forum. I had had a very uh, unusual 
childhood. And so after Landmark, I felt I had had a mindset shift in how I viewed myself and how I viewed the world. And I thought it was so, it was such a dramatic shift for me that I thought, God, if, if only I had access to this earlier in my life, what would I have done different? And what will I do now that I have this? It just opened me up from living as a person who saw themselves as a victim of circumstance of life to a person who had limitless possibility. That was the mindset shift that course gave me. And so I didn't really feel called to go to become an instructor for that curriculum, but I knew coaches existed. I had met a coach on a high ropes course that I had done out in the forest at a camp thing. And so I went back to that coach and said, you know, what would it be like to work with you? And she was a certified uh, coach from the Coaches Training Institute, CTI, which is a specific model of coaching. And uh, literally, when I began with her, I just had this kind of moment of lightning that hit my heart as she began to describe kind of how I had had a lot of therapy. I had asked for a therapist. I think I was 10 or 11 years old. So like I had done work on myself already, but when I understood that coaching is so different than therapy, coaching receives your the client as naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. You're not broke, you don't need fixing. That was just a paradigm shift in how to work with somebody versus therapy. And I really was enrolled by that. And I thought, I just, I just literally had that like lightning bolt moment where I was like, this is it, this is the bliss. Now my coaching was just beginning. I was getting coached, but I just knew in like a blink of an eye, that was, that was the bliss. And shortly, after starting to work with her, I just started getting coaching clients. I still was working full-time at the hedge fund, but it was just like such a natural, I guess, iteration for me that I just started getting clients. So by the time I entered my coach training, the formal training, I already had eight paying clients, which was unusual uh, in the class, like 15 other people, you know, one or two clients. I had like eight paying clients at full price. So it was just, that was, I guess I was just looking for it my whole life. And then when it showed up, I recognized it, you know. Well, wow, that's very interesting. So these, these first eight clients that you had, were they, were they traders? Were they Wall Street related or? They were, they were an eclectic bunch. It was, I don't think there were any traders. There were a couple of people in finance, executives, uh, at C-suite level, because that was the, you know, I was always at the C-suite level when I worked in finance. Um, couple of were entrepreneurs. I think one was an artist, uh, somebody who was about to leave the corporate world to start their own business. So it was a mix. It was a mix of who were there. And they were people I met at, there could have, there could have been, if there was a trader, it would have been an institutional trader, not a day trader. Right. Because right. at that point, my circle really was, you know, in the corporate uh, sector, so to speak. So, so you define the type of coaching you were doing at this juncture as kind of like a professional coach or more of a life coach or? I, I always knew I was going to call myself uh, an executive coach. I didn't feel uh, at the time too, this is, you know, 16, 17 years ago, everybody was 
kind of starting to call themselves a life coach. And I think I knew early on that if I was a life coach, that not that life stuff doesn't come up because it always does, but I think I knew for me to be able to make a living, especially walking away from the salary that I was at in the finance world, I was going to need to probably have corporate clients to, if I want to keep any semblance of that lifestyle. So I knew right from the beginning, I was going to go specifically towards corporate clients uh, and or individuals that were C-suite level so that, you know, I would be able to still work with the people I was familiar with and experienced with. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. So how do we make the transition over to Wall Street? Wall Street. Well, I think because Wall Street is so big, you know, it, it was part of what I lived for 10 years, having worked in that industry for so long. But I don't, I don't think, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, as, at least for me as a coach, I just wanted to coach everybody and anybody. And of course, you know, Seth Godin and all the brilliant uh, entrepreneur, uh, you know, wisdom keepers tell you, you have to niche. But I was like, I'll be different. I don't have to niche. And of course, I was incorrect. Um, but so yeah, so I started in 2006, a year and a half before the 08 crisis began. And, you know, like I said, I walked away from a very generous salary. And I was like, Oh boy, I have a situation because all three months, five months before uh, October 7th, um, business started to decline. So I was like, oh, I think I have a situation. And then I had a really good friend who said, um, do you guys, I don't know if you guys were paying attention to this at the time, but there was something happening called the free hugs movement. This was a guy named one man who started it in Australia and he was just walking around major cities and it became viral, so to speak, back then before viral was probably even a word, but people were doing a free hugs movement. I was doing one in New York City uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So me and I, I did it by myself initially, but then other people started to join. We just held a sign free hugs. And it just was a way of connecting with people. So I had already done that for a couple of years. And I was, you know, bitching to her girlfriends on a car ride back from someplace about no business. And she's like, you know, that free hugs movement you were involved in. She's like, what if you did free coaching? And I was like, what? She was like, it's kind of crazy, right? I was like, it's insane. But that's kind of interesting. <laughs> and, and then I thought, well, where would I do it? And of course, this was, you know, September or so, August, September. I thought, geez, Wall Street's tough on a good day. <laughs> right now, they must not be in good shape. So I was like, well, and, and I was also starting to look for temp work, like back in the corporate world, because I had to bring some money in. So I just happened to sit outside the stock exchange on a bench on October 7th. And that was the day the market went up falling, you know, 500, 600 points. And within, a, I just went back at lunchtime. And before I knew it, I had a line of people like, you know, traders from the floor, executives, bike messengers, secretaries, CEOs who had just been, you know, told they're going to be let go of like, and the reporter, there was a re lots of reporters covering, you know, the collapse of Wall Street. They always get so dramatic. And um, this reporter came up to me, saw the line of people. He was like, can I, what are you doing? I was like, I'm coaching people. <laughs> He's like, 
right here on a bent? I was like, yeah, in 15 minute increments. And he was like, I have to talk to you. I was like, well, okay, but you have to get on live because these people. <laughs> so, so he did one time talking to me and he did a story, uh, Chris Taylor is his name. And he called me the wall street coach. And I was like, wait a minute, that is a really good name. So I went to GoDaddy.com and for $8.25, I bought the Wall Street coat. And now, of course, I have it trademarked. So that's how it all began. Wow. So what on earth happened in the, you know, 15 years uh, since then? Like, like how, how, is the, how have you expanded the, the business? I mean, we're... Yeah. Well, after that, I was also, because I did, I did it for one year. I coached uh, almost weekly for one year. Mm -hmm. And after that year, uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement was beginning. And they were obviously very upset with Wall Street getting bailouts and um, were, you know, upset over what had happened. But because I had spent that year in that neighborhood on the bench, like I, I just thought, let me let me understand this movement. Let me talk to them, let me walk through it. So I did that. And what I gathered from quite young people, for the most part, they were misunderstanding what capitalism was. They thought that what they were seeing, what we had all just seen was capitalism. And I was like, no, see, selling crap to your clients is not capitalism. That's called corruption. That's called, you know, being fraudulent. Um, and so I just could tell after that movement and during it, there was all these people who were, look, there's issues on Wall Street that need to be addressed. But I also felt they were misunderstanding. So I also thought we needed to hear solutions from people in finance who were operating from integrity. So I kind of kept saying, you know, to different colleagues and friends who were, you know, in finance, look, let's, why don't we have the good guys talk about what changes need to happen, what, uh, how you can stay true to your integrity, even when large sums of money are at stake. Why don't, why don't, why doesn't the news report on those people? Why don't they talk to them? And, you know, nobody took me up on the suggestion. So at some point I just really felt called to find them. And so I interviewed what I now call the Wall Street 50, 50 men and women who had succeeded in finance with integrity, among them a number of very famous people, um, and among them also not famous people, because I thought, you know, it's going to be easy for someone to say, like, Jim Rogers is one of the 50. You know, it's easy to say, well, Jim Rogers, it's easy for him. But I also have, you know, Joe Smith that nobody's heard of. Like, this is not about... Um, it's, it's about a way of living consciously being somebody who's connected to your own integrity and what your own kind of moral uh, compasses. And so that book, in a sense, changed the trajectory in a lot of ways of my life because it and it was also, you know, not politically correct, so to speak, at the time. I know we were talking about that a few minutes ago, but one of my dear friends, Tal Rods, he's probably the best writer I know. He's been the co-author of, of a bunch of bestsellers. 
he you know knew I was starting my business and he actually warned me strongly about writing that book because he said you know everybody hates Wall Street right now Kim uh they're gonna laugh at you if you try to write a book about the good men and women of Wall Street and uh also he said they'll think it's a Saturday Night Live skit <laughs> and and I was like <laughs> you know I, and I was heartbroken because I respect his opinion so much but I just had this call like I knew it had to be done and um Anyway, so, but that book changed my life because in the end, I got an opportunity to house it in Hawaii to get that book, uh, you know, published. I self-published it. And, um, you know, now I live in Hawaii all these years later. So, And yeah. I'm very jealous about that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, I, I really had nothing to do with it. It just happened. It's like I got here and this place felt like home. I'm a Brooklyn-born New Yorker, so I'm not somebody who ever in a million years saw myself living outside of Manhattan or Brooklyn or just where I was born. But you know, some, what is that John Lennon quote, right? Life happens when you're busy making other plans. So. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I know that, uh, from, from all of the, uh, the time that we've spent at Traders for a Cause, uh, talking about trading psychology and how this is like a recurring theme that comes up over and over again in the most popular I think Nate, you would you would echo the sentiment. The most popular subject that dawns our stage are the psychological implications of trading and how you know uh, you can learn how to push a button and pull a lever and to follow a chart pattern. But what really separates good traders from you know traders that think they can be good are the psychological aspects of of trading. So tell me uh, exactly uh how the process works when you uh, start talking to a trader that's looking for coaching uh and and to better their their trading career what's the approach that you take take me through like the process yeah well ideally we'll put them through an assessment that we use we call it our trader positioning index and that allows us to have an incredibly granular look at their work side how they work how they operate in the business setting in their trading and also underneath that is the self side and of course that self side is the foundation with which the work side is sits upon mm -hmm. and because we have a culture right now and have for many years that is so uh it so advocates that we work 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 almost everyone has a very strong work side and their self side is somewhat compromised. And part of what I think it helps traders see is that if your foundation of a, you know, just if you think of yourself as a house, if your foundation is on sand, how steady, sturdy will that house be over many years? And I think it allows traders to first of all have data you know i know coaching is perceived especially for traders anybody who's in a left brain focused business as you know it's it's woo woo or it's you know like too uh too ephemeral and too kind of like feelings based and emotional but part of why i love this assessment is this is data this is showing you exactly how and where you might not be taking good care of your own needs, which in the end is going to compromise your ability to work as uh, effectively as a trader 
uh, that you know you need to have just like sleep can hinder you know they say now if we that sometimes driving while sleep deprived is more dangerous than driving drunk because your faculties are all impacted so if that is usually the first assessment I'll do with the client uh, that will come into the work and a lot of the work is not specific to their trading at least in the beginning because it's about the phrase, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So just as an example, if there's a particular trader who's over trading uh, or being you know, very emotionally triggered by loss, one of the simple question is, how is it for you when you know, somebody drives past you on the road? You know, do you freak out? Does it get you really angry? Does it trigger you? Like first, look for triggers where are the triggers happening in your life because if they're happening in your trading they're also happening outside of your trading and if you can begin to become conscious and self-aware of that at the start outside of your trading then you're going to be much more uh conscious of when they show up in your trading so it's it's more about that big picture of how and who are you and that self-awareness changes everything you know one of the phrases that i use a lot in my coaching so much so that one of my clients actually got it tattooed on his arm that's the first tattoo i've inspired as far as i know anyway, wow that's awesome i know it's pretty awesome I, I got to meet him recently and get a picture of the tattoo <laughs> um with, but it said his it says simply notice and that is it seems so simple. It seems so ridiculously, you know, small, and yet it can change everything. If you and and the other thing too among traders is the self judgment. They're so hard on themselves. Like, oh my god, but that too stops them from being able to change. So ultimately, I ask the clients to please be willing to step into two perspectives: neutrality and no judgment. And by being in neutrality and coming from a place of no judgment, it curiosity rather, curiosity and neutrality are the two things I ask for. Why? Because very infrequently does our culture today reward us for curiosity. We all have to know everything. How many times has somebody asked us something and we're comfortable saying, I don't know. It's like, we all have to freaking know. We all have to have an opinion. Oh, that's like, so true. Right? It's like, could you just say, I don't know for once? That's an interesting point. I don't know what I think because I haven't thought about it yet, you know? So I ask for curiosity and neutrality because if you're always in self-judgment, if you're always making yourself wrong, it's really hard to change because you're in a place of feeling lousy about yourself. And that is not a place where transformation happens. Very interesting stuff. And and I know that uh, I, I took the assessment uh, a few months ago and I learned some stuff about me that I, yeah, that could, it couldn't have been more true. And and what's funny about it is that the, the assessment itself is kind of crafty in a way where it kind of like gives you the answers without actually making you feel like you're giving the answers, which is, mm -hmm. I guess it's the mark of a good, a good assessment. I, I suspect it is having taken a million Myers-Briggs for the finance world, you know, you take them a few times, you know what they want you to answer. You can pretty much 
game those results <laughs> without much effort. But this assessment is so baffling to everyone. I've, I've just never seen an assessment like it. And uh, I've not really been impressed with an assessment prior to this one. So I'm glad that you found it to be. Oh, it was so, so fascinating. You learned so much about yourself. And, and speaking of which, Nate, you've been very quiet, but Nate, I understand recently took this assessment as well. Yeah. Ha, have has the uh, the jury come in on Nate? Is he broken as a human Tomorrow. being? <laughs> Tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day. Oh, it's on the, already on the calendar? Yeah. yeah. I was hoping yeah. that we could just like spill the guts like here live on the podcast. We'll we'll uh completely uh, dissect. We'll we'll completely break Nate apart. He, not gonna he, happen. He's not got opportunity. <laughs> He has this uh, this uh, public persona. Let's let's figure out the truth. Let's dig into this. <laughs> well, this is really this is really great stuff. I think you're doing a great service for uh, for the Wall Street crowd, especially for for our community. I think it's really interesting to uh, you know have uh, a focus, and and I know a lot of clients that are in the the independent space, and yeah. I think they really benefit from this. I mean, like there are, there are certainly corporations that have structures like this, but yeah. um, similar to the way Traders for a Cause caters to the independent uh, yep. stock trader uh, from a charity perspective, it yes. seems like the service that you're offering and, and, and what you're doing could be really beneficial uh, on the the psychological side of trading. So I, I just see them as true entrepreneurs, day traders, you know, they're true entrepreneurs. And having been one now for 15 plus years, I have a soft spot for entrepreneurship because it's freaking hard. You know, I want to say another word, but I'm trying to be polite, but it's hard, it's hard. So those ups and downs, I go through them myself with my business, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking and you have to have a very strong stomach. And so I just know these tools that I gathered because I had to gather them, you know, my journey, my life, uh, for me to navigate it and be able to uh, have it be the kind of life I wanted it to look like, I had to do a lot of work on myself. And because I did so much work on myself and still do work on myself, I have gathered an enormous amount of tools and those tools changed my life. So I feel beholden to share those tools with as many people as possible because ultimately if people are not living or working the way they want to be it's simply because they haven't had access to tools to facilitate that and i don't think again our culture really advocates that especially for men you know we have unfortunately a very much a, a toxic kind of expectation laid on men culturally that they are not allowed to show uh that they have needs that they are not allowed to show their humanity and uh i think that does them a huge disservice and they are trying to be so stoic you know and look there's a lot of pundits and authors out there who advocate this kind of you know man up mentality but they don't give the tools around how to cope with all the hard to be with emotions that come with living. Uh, and it's like, you know, how can you ask people to just man up and then not give anybody the tools or woman up? Like 
people need tools. And unfortunately, you don't if you don't learn them in your family of origin, you certainly don't learn them in school. You're not going to probably learn them on the job unless you have a really, you know, conscious and, uh, you know, a culture and a company where it's really advocated. Where are you going to get it? You know, where are you going to get it? I think it's amazing uh, in thinking about what you said a little bit ago about the difference between therapy and coaching, because one thing that I took away from just talking with you uh, after I did your assessment, uh, and I told this day right away, I just said, Kim's got this like aura about her where I guess it's the mark of a good coach. Like when I, when I got off the phone with you, like you just have a good feeling, like you have that ability to make somebody feel good about themselves and, and instill more confidence. And, you know, from a training perspective, that's really kind of important, you know, to, to not feel like you're not worthy of, of, uh, you know, making it in the business. So I, I think that like there's off, oftentimes a, a stigma attached with, with therapy, but I, I can totally see the difference. And you opened my eyes to that when you were talking about the difference between coaching and therapy. Yeah, and I, and I just want to be careful. There is absolutely a time and a place for therapy. Uh, you know, I've had therapy. It, it can be profound, but there also, at least from my journey, was a place where I began to experience coaching as as an up leveling that I was ready to step into. And one of the teachers that's truly inspired me is a man named Marshall Rosenberg. And he's the, you, you made me tear up with the kind words because that's what I do this for. Like to, to know that somebody walks away from a conversation with me, maybe feeling better about themselves. Like how could there be anything more important in this life than that? Like that's what mm -hmm. it's all about. And unfortunately the majority of people don't have that experience about themselves. And that is part of why we have so much pain in this world. It's because people are walking around basically feeling like a drowning man all the time with a baby being thrown on them, as that metaphor was at the beginning. <laughs> right? And so like you want you want people to be kind to you. Well you have to be able to realize that it's possible nobody's been kind to them. <laughs> How can they give what they don't have? So that's why Rosenberg's work was so profound for me. He really taught me that this concept of empathy, and that is, you know, in my book, one of the things I did with those 50 is I weaved their stories throughout what I call my five practices. And those five practices are the practice that that changed my life and other practices that inform my coaching. And one of those practices is called self and other empathy. And that is learning how to practice self empathy, which eventually in turn allows you to practice empathy with other people. And that is a game changing uh, paradigm shift for, for me certainly, and for most of the people that I've worked with. Um, and Rosenberg came, you know, his creation of NVC, the abbreviation for nonviolent communication, uh, came out of his dissatisfaction with uh, the therapeutic world. He was uh, actually like in year seven of his eight years of a doctorate to become a psychiatrist, psychologist, and he um, he walked away from it all because he felt the energy of the stigma 
of making that that they somehow uh you know were broken and that he was the expert and that paradigm just really rubbed him the wrong way and he felt called to kind of create this other paradigm which I've been a student of, continue to be a student of for probably over 25 years. That one tool uh, of all the tools I've experienced is probably the most game-changing tool uh, I've you know encountered. Yeah, I feel like uh, boiling it down when I think about it, we always have a conversation or an interaction with another human and we walk away and, we, and we're constantly thinking like, what did I do wrong? Like, what could I have done better? How mm -hmm. could I have communicated differently? Mm -hmm. I feel like after talking with you, I walked away feeling like these are all these, this is validation of things that I'm actually doing right. Yeah. And it's such a different way of looking at it. If you view it through that lens and, and it's, it's almost like it, it, it perpetuates, uh, improvement regardless. It's yes. just putting a, a positive spin on improvement instead of, you know, Oh, you idiot. What, what, what could you have done differently? Why, exactly. why did you say that you dumbass? you know, exactly. uh, but that, that voice that calls us a dumbass, and we all have those voices, you know, we have a busload of them for God's sake, but that is that inner saboteur. That is that inner gremlin that is telling us, you know, it uses words like you should have, would have, could have. Those are the three favorite words of that inner saboteur. And, and the, you know, craftiness of this inner gremlin is that it will tell us without it, we would be nothing. And so that also keeps it, it keeps its job because it convinces us that we're not actually competent without it. And that thanks to the work of Rick Carson, his amazing book is called Taming Your Gremlin. And it teaches you very simple techniques of, that, that help you get out of your own way. But again, like on one hand, I don't even like to make that wrong, the gremlin wrong, because like it saved our ass. It's why we're at the top of the food chain. <laughs> like if it wasn't for that kind of negative slant, we wouldn't be here as, as a culture, like mankind, we would have been, you know, extinct. However, that was then, you know, we don't have saber-toothed tigers chasing us on the Serengeti now. Now we are being chased by, you know, a loss or whatever our interpretation is that day. But the physiology of our body is going to respond and react, rather react, not respond. And part of practicing self-empathy or recognizing that internal voice that is demeaning us is the beginning of us getting unhooked from it. So it's not like it ever goes away, but at least we become conscious of it. And that every, and, and Rick Carson's great metaphor is, it's always gonna be on the bus with us, but it doesn't get to drive the bus. And if your gremlin is driving the bus and you're having a tendency to speak really badly to yourself, that is going to cost you. It's like a big hole in your gas tank that's leaking out all mm -hmm. of your nourishment, all of your oxygen. And that is ultimately a big part of what happens in coaching is just the identification of that so that that gremlin does, you know, because it's like, would you let a 10 year old drive a freaking bus? No. But yet that gremlin is driving a lot of trading accounts, a lot of relationships, a lot of choices we make 
unconsciously. So it's all about consciousness. Are you living consciously or unconsciously? Don't judge it. Don't don't make yourself wrong for it, but start to get curious. What happens if I just bring a little bit more self-awareness into my day, into my trading? What changes? Talk to me a little bit. Let's talk about traders in general. Like when a trader comes to you and is interested in finding out whether the coaching process is appropriate for them, tell me a little bit about the profile of this this typical individual. Like are they are they struggling and looking to improve? Do they feel like they're broken? Are they already arrived but looking to just continually improve? What's your typical uh, client that would that would yeah. approach you? They do come in all sizes and shapes, so to speak, but I do think what the common denominators are, are probably a more experienced trader who has mastered a certain level of success. And maybe they thought as long as they got that, they didn't have to worry about the emotional intelligence side. And now there is a tendency of them bumping into the awareness that maybe that emotional side of me does matter. So I think they're probably at the beginning, there's, it's probably been in the background, but they maybe didn't take it seriously or just thought, I just have to master all of these technical aspects first. And I think the ones who are probably the ones who are going to go to the distance realize, oh, this emotional side of me does have to be addressed. I do have to take a look at that. So I would say the qualities are curiosity. They have a tendency to be really curious. Um, I, I've also been very impressed just in the last couple of years at the young, the youth that's coming to coaching. I, I'm shocked at how those under 30 are way more self-aware than clients I've had over 50. They seem to be more comfortable with the conversation of emotional intelligence and the importance of it. They just know it's valuable, which is profound to me. I'm like, wow, you guys are like old souls that you even get that this is that important to- They're into free hugs. <laughs> I guess they are. I guess they are. <laughs> I think I think you're right about that with the- um... The, the traders that have been around a lot longer, maybe have some sort of success at, at some point, they start to kind of question or reevaluate where they're at. And it's like, yeah, why am I either not happy? Why am I feeling this way? How could I do better? How could I do that? And it, it, I think it does come with a, a certain degree of success that you start to look back at all those things. I had a lot of friends after like 2020, including myself um, with that year where everybody was just so confused and unsure, like, I had the best year ever, but like, why am I not feeling a, a certain way? Why do I still feel this way? And um, yep. it was a very confusing time for a lot of people, yep. which you would expect it to be different. Yep, exactly. And and that, you know, not to plug my talk, that's going to be at your conference, everybody, but that <laughs> is going to be a big part of my talk is like, how is it that we could, we we have this tendency sometimes to get everything we want and still not have that sense of peace, have everything we want and still perhaps feel like we're not fully nourished, you know, right. or frustrated or not as happy as we could be. And I think that's a big part of uh, a big part of when traders 
you know, perhaps are not trading their strategy, but trading instead to get certain needs met and not being aware of that. It's it's a costly place to try to get needs met. Yeah, the thing about trading is if you're alone the entire time, that's it, you're alone. But when you open yourself up, then you start to have all these other things like, oh, well, you know, he made a lot more than me. I could have done this and could have done that. And so yeah. as you start to put yourself out there or you join communities, you, and, you know, all that, you start to have all these outside influences that you have to, For I guess, sure. need the tools to, you know, yes. kind of cope and understand how to just kind of lead your own path and not worry about exactly. that. Exactly. And I'm going to, I'm going to give a great little phrase that was taught to me by Raphael Kushner, compare equals despair. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It's never going to go well when you're just comparing yourself. And it's so easy to do in this industry of all industry. Oh, yeah. That's all these it, guys do. Are you kidding me? It's all about the comparing. That's what but, I always say. Somebody's always going to make more. Just deal with it. And it is what exactly, it is. Exactly. But it's it's part of that culture. And that's, right. you know, it's in. And I think finance for the good or the bad, that is part of the culture, right? It's it's all about the measuring. But that's why, you know, I advocate to everybody that comes into coaching, you have to design your own ruler. Because if you use somebody else's ruler on your life and your trading account, it's never gonna measure the way yours is. And and that's why it's important to know who you are and what is important to you. Is it time with your family? Is it time uh, to meet your kid after school? Is it to have the ability to support a family member who needs extra help? Like everybody has their collection of variables. What are yours? It could be because you want to get the Lambo or the Rolex. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, is that what makes you really happy? Not Joe Smith, who you're comparing yourself to. What do you find is most typical in the traders that you talk to? Because I mean, like you, you, you talk to a ton of them. What, what are they after? What is the sense of fulfillment that, what is the, the carrot at the end of the stick? I think for many, initially, they don't have their needs defined. They have their wants defined. So wants are not the same. And that's a big part of what that talk will be for the Traders for a Cause conference for the traders I speak to. If you only know what your wants are, but you don't know what the needs underneath them that are driving them, then you can get and secure all your wants and still be unhappy, still be unsatisfied. So it's, everybody's different, but one of the things that is also given to somebody in coaching is something called the universal needs list. Most people don't even know what their basic needs are. I'll I'll share quickly one of mine, one of my needs non-negotiable needs is freedom. And no surprise, I'm an entrepreneur. But I remember talking to a friend once who, you know, had seen me for 10 years, have my own business. And she had worked in the corporate world forever. And she was like, I think I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, huh, you have a non-negotiable need for security. Let's think about how often that's going to get met as an entrepreneur. Probably not that often. Now, because we had that conversation, she was able to see, oh yeah, that's right. I have to have security. Like I like security, but if you gave me a choice between freedom and security, I choose freedom, right? Not for her. Now, that's why it was important for her to understand that 
security meant that much to her. Probably for somebody who's security, that means that much. That probably shouldn't go into trading either. <laughs> right. But I think you have to get clear on what your needs are so that you can build a life and or how you earn your living uh, in a way that's in synchronicity with that. Yeah. Very good. So uh, talk to me about some great results that you've seen. Like, tell me about what you've seen traders, how they've benefited from the coaching and how you've seen uh, them evolve uh, through the coaching process. I think the concept of their noticing uh, dramatically improves. They are able to be an observer of themselves and their trading in a brand new way. And that is how as I've watched them, their ability to pivot, their ability to surf all kinds of markets is able to happen because they're able to, you, what else, what I'll say is that there's a part of us who, that are in the experience of whatever's happening to us, but we can simultaneously be an observer of ourselves. We can simultaneously notice, oh, look at that. That really triggered me. Wow, I am really pissed off right now. <laughs> What's going on? Like, again, if we're able to bring that curiosity, then there is a bit of distance between how you react. And ultimately, the more you do that, you start to respond instead of react. And in that, in that interim between not reacting and responding, you get to use all the wisdom and brilliance you've acquired from all your hours and days and years. You get to finally tap into them. But if you're only operating on autopilot in a way that you feel triggered, you, there's going to be a cost. So what happens, the clients that do this work, is they are able to respond instead of react, not just in trading, but in everything that shows up in their life. Life is a hell of a ride. It's a roller coaster. You know, things happen that nobody sees coming. Do you want to be able to navigate them with all of your wisdom? Or do you want to just be always at the mercy of whatever shows up? And I, I just feel like if you get these tools, you're able to kind of handle any storm. And that appears to be the case for those who've worked with me, and especially for the clients that come back to me after years of, you know, they'll work with me, leave, and then come back. So the, the best compliment I get is when I have old clients come back to me because I'm like, I guess I'm doing something right. So that's that's a beautiful affirmation. Well, I think at, at a certain point we all we all sometimes question um, whether whether we're making a difference and whether we're doing the right thing and whether we're worthy. And there's no better affirmation than somebody coming back to you and absolutely again and again. I feel like a lot of uh, traders, like you were saying, react um after losses as well it's like the first thing like how do i get it back and they their trigger is the loss and then it's like getting back getting back getting back and a lot of times if you just took that step back and 
uh, like you said, use your wisdom, use, use everything you've, you've built over these years, yes. you know, you probably wouldn't be right back in that trade trying to get it all back in, in one Definitely. shot. And Definitely. so sometimes just taking that step back and, and kind of realizing, you know, what, what is a good choice here? Exactly. And that's the self-awareness that you're talking about. And, and like we, when we talked uh, like verbalizing stuff ahead of time and, and just, you know, keeping yourself honest is, is really half the, the battle here. For sure. I think some of the reason why that is difficult for traders and for anyone in this world is because mistakes, we, we've been taught to shame ourselves for mistakes. And right. shame is, of all the emotions, it is the most devastating. It's actually the lowest energy of emotion there is. That's the bottom of the barrel shame is really, really hard to uh, recover from. Yep, but yep. yet the culture we live in is a culture of shaming uh, all in all different ways. And that is part of why I think it's hard for traders to, because, because instantly when that loss comes, likely that self-talk is you asshole, you idiot, what the fuck is wrong with you? And when that is happening, what happens we go into a contraction physically emotionally psychologically every part of our being starts to contract because shame elicits contraction so yeah. that's why i'm saying it's so important to find a way to unhook yourself from that kind of self-talk because in shame you will not be operating at your best you want to stop and notice, okay, I'm going into that self-judgment. I'm going into that, you know, start self-flagellating myself. That's not going to get me where I want to go. But that is part of this culture. And that's a lot of too, like I, I gave a homework assignment once to a trader. I did some free coaching on Twitter space uh, a couple of times. And one guy, I gave him a homework assignment that he was to fail outside of his trading 10 times that week. I said, I want you to fail in small ways, medium ways, big ways. And, and he was like, this is the hardest homework I've ever <laughs> given. And I was like, see, you can't even fail in like forgetting to get the milk maybe for your girlfriend from the grocery store. How are you gonna handle a loss in your trading account? Because right. to him, he can never fail. He's obviously coming from a place of perfectionism. But if you equate your worthiness with perfection you are screwed because if you're a human being which you know maybe there's a couple of aliens walking around but if you're a human being yeah. you're gonna be fallible you're going to make mistakes but i don't know that most traders have ever really gotten comfortable with their humanity with their fallibility and if you don't it's like uh Baking at a high altitude, you have to adjust the recipe. You know, yeah. if you want to be a trader, you're working at a high altitude. You have to adjust the recipe. <laughs> right. Yeah. And trading, trading isn't perfect at all. And, and that's the thing is like most people want all the stars to align in order to take a trade. And it just that maybe it does, but then the trade's over. You missed it. And so you have to kind of build in, you know, uh, how you're going to make this trade work given you know what what you're looking at and it just you you can't 
that's what I tell a lot of people. Just have this general kind of idea where you want to position in and where you want to position out. But if you're waiting for that perfect, perfect setup, you're still going to be waiting all day. You're not going to make the trade. But if that's the way you have operated in your life right? and how, and how you expect yourself to always show up, how is it that you're not going to take that projection into your trading? You're, yeah. That's why it's so important to know thyself because it's going to show up. I think trading is, it's like a master class in self-awareness. It is a master class because every little shadow or button that you have, that is going to push it. You are going yeah. to get it all pushed. So pre-push these buttons before <laughs> lots of cash is at stake so that yeah. you can see, oh, looks like that really triggers me huh isn't that fascinating that's my favorite phrase when you notice something about yourself that's costly just say isn't that fascinating and instead of asking yourself why do i do that which again if you hear that word like if somebody said to you zach why did you do that or nate why did you do that like what happens we go into a contraction like I don't know why to do that oh my god you start to defend it and justify so instead i always suggest ask yourself what's that about you can feel the difference between why and what what's that about isn't that fascinating i re react to that way i wonder what that's about now you can step into a place of curiosity and perhaps discover oh well because whenever i got that wrong Maybe, uh, you know, my father punished me or something very simple from way back when that's still operating under the surface now. Right. Reminds me of, uh, I think Dr. Steenbarker said it a few years ago at our conference that you have a choice between uh, letting your life define your trading or your trading define your life. And, Beautifully said. And, and so many people in this business, obviously the, the, the only barometer that we have uh, traders have for success is the money and yeah. and we've talked about this on the podcast before it's one of one of the only career choices that you could work your ass off for you know 14 hours a day and at the end of the day you could still not make money and like that's just so demoralizing to think about that you could put so much effort into something and guess yeah. what the market doesn't care I think, I think it's hard too with the market too, because you do have to put in all that work. You do have to like make the market your life for a period of time. For you sure. do for to sure. get there, but it's like, at some point, when do you take control back? Yeah. Uh, because there is going to be, everybody's going to go through that career point, you know, 2020 for a lot of people, there's, there's going to be a certain hot run where you just keep on going and going and going. And that's going to define you. That's going to create you. That's going to, you know, completely change your life forever. But if you don't take control of that, uh, then you're just going to be, you know, looking back in 20, 30, 40 years and wish you had. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, that's a willingness to always self-reflect. Like, you know, I, I practice what I preach. You know, I work with coaches. I work with spiritual teachers. I'm, I am not always self-reflecting. But there are periods where I'm like, I think it's time again to just take a look at how I'm operating. Where are my priorities? What 
are the things that are informing me? Are these still serving me? They, they maybe served me five years ago, three years ago, but is what's different today? We're always changing, we're always evolving, and our values and our needs do shift. I think for me to have moved from New York City to the big island of Hawaii, which, you know, Pete, as the big island is not a Wahoo. So they're like the closest store that I have is like Target, which is like an hour and change away. And like, I saw my Bloomingdale's credit card in my wallet for sentimental reasons. <laughs> this is very different here. This is, I don't need, it's like Cowboy Central and ranches and so on and so forth. But at that time, when that opportunity presented itself for me to stay here, I had to look at myself again. And because I'm an entrepreneur and I work so many hours, what I got that this place gave me was was encouraging my beingness, not just my doingness, right? Being in New York City, it's all doing, doing, doing. Everybody's in that energy. But this place calmed me down and slowed me down. So I may still work a lot as an entrepreneur, but boy, as soon as I walk out of my office, I'm surrounded by nature that just shuts that shit down and allows me to decompress. But that choice was terrifying for me at the time because I thought the city is me. I am the city, like it's my whole life. But this showed me there was something happening for me and I was open to it, right? I'm not saying it was easy, but I was willing to look. Maybe I have different needs now. And lucky for me that I heard that call and gave into it, you know, or surrendered to it. Do you have any clients as a coach that that come to you in person? I do. I have a handful on the island that I've met along the way. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, so you do have a few. I mean, I, I feel like we've become such a virtual society, but yes. uh, I feel I mean, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. That's a good, a good segue into talking about Vegas. But like, I feel like there's something about that human to human, you know, not behind a screen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do Hawaiian retreats here too. Uh, you know, there, there, it's like a VIP day for uh, either individuals or small groups where, uh, we will do a deep dive. I have a, a website, most people don't know about it, but it's called the Ho'omana, which means uh, to basically empower. And it's a very Hawaiian centric. We do a lot of coaching, but I also integrate, uh, I've done a lot of work with a Hawaiian kahu, which is like a Hawaiian priest. And I bring a lot of spiritual aspects and the land here is just, you know, the word for it is mana. You know, there is mana here. The big island in particular is known as the healing island. So I do have those. We we didn't get to do them during COVID, but I was able to do quite a few before COVID here. And they were pretty special, pretty uh, special Nate, experiences. Uh, let's get a calendar out, maybe. Get some, <laughs> we'll get something on the schedule, perhaps. Uh, yeah, big island trip. Bi-monthly uh, coaching. In Hawaii. Hawaii. We'll, we'll bring our we'll bring a, a crew we'll do a little bit of b-roll maybe a <laughs> podcast yeah, episode that would be Love it. that that would be maybe the follow-up to your boston special, mm. the hawaii special. yeah hawaii was fun i went out there i went to uh napa first to split it up wow yes. that was two weeks uh wow. we went there what island were you on uh maui and Kauai. okay Kauai or Kauai. Yep. 
Kauai. Kauai or Kauai. I like Kauai. That's the more legit, legit pronunciation. But Kauai is probably as close to Big Island uh, of all the islands. It's just much bigger. But it's that, you know, the chickens everywhere. I can't believe we haven't had a chicken interrupt my podcast, the rooster outside (laughs) my window. But uh, it's, it's a special place. Yeah, no, it's that we really enjoyed it too. We did a week in Maui and a week in uh, Kauai, and uh, Kauai was very peaceful. It's very peaceful. Yeah, it was. Yeah. There's not, I mean, I guess I would say it's definitely not a go see do. Like, it's more of like low key, like quiet, you know? Yeah. We did Maui first. Maui's more of the party scene and and lively. And then you do your like week after. Exactly. To chill. That's exactly what we did. We did it the week in Maui first, and then we were exhausted. And, uh, Did you guys do the Na- Nepali coast hike nope. or some of that on yeah. Kauai? Okay. Yeah. As much as we could. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a harrowing. I think that's also, you know, this the power of this place is, you know, it's not Disneyland, you know, so there are tourists that I'll see, like they don't take these hikes serious. Like there's no net down there, people. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's, there's no, you know, there are sharks in the water. There are right. dolphins, dolphins, vana. Like there, shit's gonna go down, and nobody's gonna make it better. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this place also just humbles you. I, I'm a paddler. I, part of no doubt the reason I moved here was outrigger paddling, which is you know the same as a been for thousands of years a six-man canoe paddling you know as old hawaiians did back in the day but being out on that ocean literally at the level of the ocean and encountering these sea creatures talk about being humbled you just realize you know out on that ocean just how small you really are and and in a way that allows you to see how magical this world is well nate you know? and i have daughters and we've seen moana so we're fully familiar <laughs> with paddling good job, good job. <laughs> we are familiar with so then we'll take you guys paddling when you come for that yeah. little retreat oh, God. all right we got to do it nate let's do it all right um so let's talk vegas so uh you you brushed a little bit upon what you're going to talk about and i'm not going to make you let the cat like, take the cat out of the bag entirely but uh what are we in store for you're going to do some a little bit of interactive uh material yeah. with us right yeah i i don't i'm not a fan of talking at people i really like to talk with people so my hope is that uh those who come to the talk will be uh willing to be interactive uh i will talk about how the traders do on occasion try to get those needs met in their trading so i will give them uh an introduction to what needs could be the ones they're seeking and uh, for them to then begin to identify how to get those needs met outside of their trading so that it doesn't wind up costing them while they trade. Brilliant, brilliant. I think we're also gonna auction off some uh, coaching sessions with you. I do believe you will be. So that should be fun. That should be fun. So there'll be some great opportunities there. And, And Nate, I think we wanted to make an announcement on this podcast that uh, if, if you guys aren't familiar, we sold out of our early bird tickets to the conference in a record like three hours this year, like in one day. And we put oh, more God. tickets out than we ever have. So uh, the demand has been unprecedented, but I think we're going to release another block. And I know people have been kind of waiting for us to do this, but I think we're going to release them to coincide with uh, a premiere of this podcast. So whenever we do that, 
Uh, if you're listening to this now or watching this right now, you go, can go, go. You can go over and grab them. There's only gonna, there's only gonna be a limited amount because our numbers just keep going up and up as we add sponsors and everything. Uh, we like to keep the event relatively intimate. People don't understand that. We always get the question like, why don't you just double the number of tickets that you're selling? And I think that it would lose some of its luster and some of yeah. its sanctity if we did that. You're able to so. actually have conversations with people rather than be like, all right, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Exactly. Beautiful. That's why everybody's so charged up afterwards. I've talked, I talked to Nathan about this recently. Yeah. The clients that I have worked with who have attended, I mean, they're on a natural high for six weeks afterwards because, because it does nourish so many of their needs, guys. You guys are the need for community, the need for camaraderie, the need to feel like you're not uh, alone or isolated. That's what you guys and that conference needs. That's why it sells out so fast. Yeah, word to spread like wildfire. It is. It. it I'm. I'm. Uh, I am proud of it. We. I think we've built something special. We've. We've built something unique. I think to this industry, and I think that that what we're trying to do, I feel very fulfilled at the end of the day that we're we're trying to do the right thing yeah i always say this like in an industry that's that again is is oftentimes rewarding making more money and greed and everything um i think it's just important for these guys to to understand how how much of an influence how much of a difference they can make by giving back and, oh um, absolutely because contribution is also a need we yeah. all need to feel like we are contribution to another person. And sometimes the contribution you can be is monetary. And sometimes the contribution you can be is to just be there for somebody. But we all do have that need. And I do think, especially for people where large sums of money perhaps are new because they didn't perhaps come uh, from that lifestyle as a young person, they probably aren't connected to how incredibly enriching contribution is and you guys are introducing this concept to them and that gives them the opportunity to really be deeply fulfilled in a way they may not have been exposed to previously yeah that was, that was when we first started and when i threw all these and meeting greg and seeing like a, you know at the level that he was at and giving and you know i i would always donate but you don't realize how much more you can do and how much more it does for other people than it's going to do for for you so that was what one of the biggest things and i think that people take away is yeah i can do a lot more and it does not change my lifestyle one bit that's right if anything it enriches it because you realize you're making such a difference on other people for their journey it, it i mean it feels better to give than to get and that and people just lose sight of that you know as yeah. a kid as a kid you get gifts on christmas and you're excited to get all this stuff but at some point in the human condition that changes, you know, and, and I think it's a, it's a mindset though of scarcity, you know, and, and that's that zero sum thinking like, you know, if you, if that person gets more, I have less. And, you know, just with the journey I've had, I, I found the absolute opposite. The more I give, the more I get, Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, it's a paradigm that you have to step into and, and, you know, Joe Campbell has a great quote that he says, you know, sometimes you have to leap for the net to appear. And I think with being somebody who wants to be a contribution back, you do have to leap. You don't know for sure at the beginning if you've never done it before, but 
you know, once you do leap, I, so far so good. The net has always appeared for me. So, <laughs> so I think I think that's one of the good things about Vegas too. Is I feel like um, you know a lot of people that are, are going there. They're you know they're giving their time, and and there's other people there that are going to give time to yes. others, and and you end up getting a lot out of that. You get the relationships, you get the networking, and all of that stuff. But just being there, knowing like seeing other people, you know that they are giving, so you're more more for willing sure. to go that extra step. For sure. It's, it opens your heart, you know, like I, this sounds maybe silly, but I, I remember my, my mother used to make my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know, when I went to school and I would try to make them sometimes, but they never tasted the same. And I would always <laughs> say to her, like, what is it? It's a peanut butter and jelly. Like, it's just, well, cause I make your sandwich with love. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it's absolutely true that a sandwich is always better when it's made when by someone else. you don't make it. Yeah. It's always <laughs> better. So, with love. So when I used to get my sandwiches in New York, you know, Oban Pan or wherever, I would say to the guy behind the counter, Hey, make that with love. And, and it would, it would startle him and he would look up and he would have a big smile. And can I tell you how much better that sandwich, that tomato was always a little thicker yeah. and the mozzarella. No stems. <laughs> he did make it with love and it was always the best sandwich. So that's what you guys do. You guys are doing what you're doing all with love and that it's penetrating traders who a lot of them need it because they're not getting it maybe anywhere else. So. so Kim, I think that we need to do a deep dive on, uh, at some point in time and, and maybe we can crack the code to, uh, to unlock the cheat code to get, to get traders to really open up <laughs> and, and, uh, and give back even more because I feel like we're just scratching the surface of what, what these guys are capable of doing. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's, yeah. it's a work in progress that we've been, we've been at for nine years. So. Well, we can hash it out over some Mai Tais and Vegas sack. Okay, sounds like yep. a plan to yep. me. I have a couple of ideas, I do. <laughs> All right, nice. cool. Well, I wanna thank Kim for uh, coming on the show. This has been lovely. Always always great to chat with you. Thank you, Nate, for being here again for episode four, I think, for your fourth. Yeah, in the meantime, uh, head on over to uh, t4ac22.givesmart.com and uh, there should be some tickets there available while they last they won't be there long i'm pretty confident but uh we hope to see you guys in vegas uh, in the meantime trade profit and make a difference and we'll see you next time thanks guys